Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. From Courtney Love to Rhea Chakrabarti, we very often hold a person's loved ones accountable for their mental health um, in the media and in popular culture. But where does this tendency come from and how responsible can anyone be for someone else's mental health? So to start off with right off the bat, let's just ask everyone if you had to answer this in a yes or no question, like should one person be responsible for another the person's mental health, what would you say, yes or no? This is Shrishti, your host, by the way. Hi, it's Rajvi, the culture editor at The Swaddle, and my answer is yes. Hey, this is Aditi, culture writer. Actually, it depends. Like, you can be responsible for somebody's bad mental health, but you can't be responsible for making it better. So, like, I'm at a 50-50. Hi, this is Carla, and I'm going to be highly uh, American and individualistic and say... No, there's no obligation to be responsible for somebody else's mental health. Stirring the pot. <laughs> my my answer is also a no. So to start off with, I, I just want to ask about this idea of responsibility to begin with, right? And how does it differ when we think about different relationships? Like how is it different for families, for friendships, for romance, for professional relationships? Are there some relationships where we think that it's more important than others where it's not? Okay, so I have an activity because I wanted to tease out sort of the contours of this notion of like duty and responsibility to provide caregiving um, if somebody that you know has severe mental illness. So I'm gonna ask you guys, I have just three very quick scenarios. First scenario, um, your mother is diagnosed with a severe mental illness, um, which will require you to move back home, certainly live with her probably for the long term, um, and monitor things like medication, doctor's appointments. But basically, it will it, it will force you to live a slightly different life than or a very different life than you envisioned for yourself. Um, what do you think your responsibilities are there to your mother? When When you say duty, I think there's like a very much of an imposition there, you know, like it almost like duty feels almost like a compulsion. So I think if you have a good relationship with your mother, you would just be so inclined to do that. Um, and maybe you can find like a middle ground for yourself where you can do both um, if possible. Um, but I wouldn't completely shock that duty, as you said. Yeah, I also think yes. If, you know, it's not an abusive relationship, I'd say yes. I think I'm a little bit more traditional when it comes to this. Like, uh, I would say that if there is a relationship at all, then yes. Like, for example, if this is like, uh, even if it's like, I don't know, your estranged birth mother coming back after like years and saying, hey, I think it basically matters if A, uh, you have a relationship and B, if this person has anybody else to take care of them. If not, then it, you can't sleep at night if you don't know it. So Okay, second scenario. Um, a person you've been dating for three months is behaving quite erratically um, and you think that they might be seriously unwell and you suspect a severe mental illness that might be risking their career and is clearly risking their relationship with you and potentially with other friends. What is your responsibility there? I would urge them to seek help because I would, you know, position myself as having not, not known them for long enough. Also, not as an expert on mental health that I can help them, but I would urge them to seek help uh, to my to the extent of my abilities. But if nothing changes, uh, then I think I, it would be okay if I just like bounced. 
<laughs> yeah, I I have the same view. Honestly, I've I've kind of experienced this in a friendship. So honestly, it depends on how their behavior towards you changes. You know, it's really hard for you to be detached from how it affects you. Like with respect to what I do, I'd stick it out like as much as possible, unless there's like a direct threat to like my life, whatever, like uh, my sanity, this that. If there's a unless there's anything of that sort happening, I would stick it out. I would try to get that person as much help as possible. But I don't think this is something that is necessary to do, and I don't ascribe any virtue towards it. I think this is just something I do because I would. Okay, final scenario: you are a small business owner. and you just hooked your biggest client ever for a project that's going to uh you know make your business enormously profitable and allow you to sustain your business the new project manager who you just hired to run this huge client project um has been diagnosed with a severe mental illness that you suspect is likely to impact either their ability to work or you know have a lot of doctors appointments or in some way be disruptive what's your duty there what do you do so hard um <laughs> yeah i mean because see i don't have an answer here okay i like i'm just kind of like laying out like the ethical dilemmas here like on one hand a hand like it it wouldn't be nice to discriminate against the person just because of their diagnosed illness right so i think there's a conversation is necessary about like what they can handle and there is probably a reason for why they were hired right like because they were smart or because they were capable in some ways so is there like any troubleshooting that can happen for the things that they won't be able to do and is there like a cost effective way for the employer to kind of like plug those gaps while still retaining the brilliance of that person for which they were hired i think that would probably be the best way going forward but in reality how that that would play out completely depends on like the individual illness and the employer and the person and their like living circumstances and everything yeah i kind of agree with raj here and it's a very difficult situation but i agree with her and i'd probably get like an associate in place or someone who i can trust with because i'm guessing probably it means like things like reliability would be affected so just to get someone in place who could help sorting that so that like she said you know all of the things that you hired them for you can still use to your advantage we were all giving such diplomatic <laughs> yeah true i'll give you a spicy answer then <laughs> i would bench this person like i would just i wouldn't fire them but i would absolutely bench them and uh, i would hire somebody else to take over that responsibility but i wouldn't fire this person like it wouldn't end on bad terms like i'd make i let this person know that they still have opportunities open at my workspace and that they can get hired as soon as they're better and that they can unless they're like if this is like only like a especially like sort of deeply non functional completely no idea what what is going on sort of situation it's best to because a lot of people with severe severe low functioning mental illnesses sometimes are not very realistic about how they uh, about the functioning that they can do so it's best to sort of give them a much much lighter workload so i mean i think what we see by these responses is that not only is there a really personal and like individual and subjective notion of like where people feel a sense of responsibility ethically and morally and where they don't but there are a lot of sort of commonalities it depends on uh how long you've known somebody how close of a relationship you have with them how severely you think this situation could impact you right there's also like a selfishness to it or like how easy to easy is it to exit that relationship 
like family relationships like it's not just you can just like you know like cut off your mom for example completely like there is a, like a lot of emotional financial probably things that you would have to do to exit that relationship and that's like hard to do same same as with a job for example like you know i mean if you've put in like that much work and like you have like a relationship like it's like hard to kind of like cut those cords like that uh whereas like that three month relationship we've just met there are no expectations like you know i mean it's easier to bounce in a situation like that but i was thinking about what you'd mentioned earlier aditi about like being the cause for someone's bad mental health do you think that that is more linked to families than anything else just because of how much of a role they play in your formative years so to a certain extent uh, i think it was freud who first said that your personality is very 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 dependent on what you were like as a childhood and what happened but obviously a lot of freud's been debunked so like take that with a pinch of salt but there is quite a definite relationship between uh, how st- uh, what happens to your mental health and what your uh, what your relationship is with your parents or your main, like your primary caregiver and on top of that like you when you're young your parents also to a certain extent control your access to mental health care too so that they could also like lead to that worsening so in a way yes parents and guardians might end up being the cause for these situations but then there's also a very interesting nuance with respect to that right because like a lot of people especially us when we're teenagers we tend to blame our parents a lot with respect to what's happened to our lives and like uh, some of that most of that blame might be right most of it might not be but there was a massive study of about 30000 people and across 70 72 countries that said that people who blamed their parents for these situations that they were put in fared far worse off with respect to their mental health rather than people who sort of managed to move on so that was an interesting nugget I mean I find that really interesting because even from like this whole idea of like absolving yourself almost of like whatever is going on in your life I just wanted to understand if your study also cor- corresponds to that aditi because I was a bit confused about the finding does it mean that the people who are more likely to blame the pa- their parents for their mental health have worse conditions or does it mean that people who have worse conditions have had like a troubled childhood like which I I didn't understand like which way it works. So people who dwelled on their suffering and blamed their parents for it ended up dealing with mental health problems like that were far more serious than people who didn't. I also think we have to draw a distinction in terms of different types of mental health issues because um there are s- certain types of severe mental health disorders that simply cannot be caused by let's say a dysfunctional relationship with a parent to your point carla like i completely agree with you because it's like yes there are psychological theories about like children who have seen divorce for example growing up and having like uh, a higher risk of depression but not all children who experience divorce then grow up to have depression so like your genetics your cognitive functioning like all of those definitely play a part in whether or not you become like resilient or vulnerable to like similar stressors i wanted to offer um like the flip side of this critique of parents and offer like a pro parent perspective um so this is a a us stat where um they were researching caregivers of 
severely ill uh, schizophrenic patients. And um, schizophrenia, I would say, you know, squarely fits into the bucket of one of these severe mental health disorders where there is a genetic component and a and a brain chemistry component and usually some sort of a trigger in addition to what other, whatever other sort of uh, personal experiences may have caused or triggered it. But there's also something else underlying it. But the point here is that 82% um, of caregivers of schizophrenic, severely schizophrenic patients in the US um, have female caregivers, and usually they are the person's mother. So I think that there's just an interesting takeaway there that uh, people tend to not abandon their children who are severely ill and need help. And so when you see you know, this is adult children who are extremely ill and need like constant monitoring and attention and um, and care. And it tends to be their mothers who stick it out with them. That's super interesting. Do, do you think there's this gender dimension to this notion of responsibility and caring for other people's mental health? I'm glad you asked, Shrishti. <laughs> so I set out to find what I thought I was going to find, which is a huge discrepancy in um, the gender of caregivers of mentally ill individuals. And I am sort of stupefied to report that I did not actually find it. Um, there's actually a lot of literature uh, that has reviewed, you know, the, the past few decades of research on this. And there's no definitive answer that women provide far more caretaking of mentally ill family members um, than men, right? So when it comes to the elderly, for example, there's a huge gender distinction that the, the burden of caring for the elderly in a family tends to fall far more on women. But when it comes to caring for uh, mentally ill family members, there's not clear evidence. Um, one thing that's super interesting is this caregiver burden is a universal phenomenon across the world, across religions, cultures. It seems to be a really big thing everywhere. But I do find it weird that this gender dimension thing isn't a thing because from pop culture depictions, I feel like it's so common to see like the trope of the woman who takes care of a man going through like a, a severe addiction, depression, suicidal tendencies. Like I feel like that's like a really popular trope. Yeah, so the interesting thing about diving into this research is that there's nothing in the research to support the pop culture tropes, which is fascinating. Some of the gender distinctions that there are um, is the amount of time spent on caregiving. So uh, women tended to spend more time on caregiving than men. Um, a lot of times because men had paid work outside the home. So even though they're technically the primary caretaker for somebody, they're still leaving the home and experiencing something outside the home, right? And I guess maybe through like financial support, providing care while they're out of the house. Whereas women were more likely to be based in the home and so actually spend more of their waking hours providing this care. Um, and then the, the other gender difference is in the experience of caretaking. So women tended to report more negative impact, like they were just unhappier with the overall caregiving experience um, than men were. Can I read you guys a quote of one of, the, uh, one of the things that the researchers proposed for the explanations why? Uh, 
A number of studies have found that women use emotion-focused coping and other ineffective coping styles, such as fantasy, wishful thinking denial, escape or avoidance more frequently than men. In contrast, men have a wider coping repertoire than women and use more effective coping strategies such as problem solving, acceptance, detachment, or distancing more frequently. These differences in coping strategies could potentially explain the higher levels of caregiver burden and psychological morbidity among women. What do okay, you guys think I'm, of that? I'm sorry. Suppression of emotions is not coping. <laughs> like, that's bullshit. Did a dude write this? Yeah, dude wrote, wrote this. Yeah. There were... There were two women, two women and a dude. Oh God. Um, no, I mean, I completely reject this hypothesis, like complete rejection. Just, I mean, I mean, isn't your like ability to like not empathize, but emotionally connect with the person you're caring for make you a better caregiver? Like, I mean, I'm sure that it, it does a number on you as a person, you know, because like you have to like endure the burden of like feeling like, an onslaught of emotions, but I do believe it makes you like a better caregiver. I don't think detachment like does anything for the person you're caring for. I mean, maybe it's worded uh, weirdly, but I do think that the sentiment is true. Like I've seen it with families who I know who are caregivers and you see it in popular culture as well, that men find it easier to detach and not care. And like women are the one, because you're so in emotionally invested in people in like those kind of, uh, you know, heterosexual family setups, like women do tend to get more attached and more invested and more, uh, just more like take on more of the toll of dealing with a mental illness. I feel like that is true but i also want to know what this care looks like you know like is this care like helping them eat helping them you know go to the bathroom helping them um i don't know do things that like are like very complicated to navigate or is the help that you can buy the medicine like what is that care yeah so rajvi actually one of the things that comes out in the research is one of the things that is gendered is the actual tasks that people do so things like bathing, dressing, feeding, these fall on women. Wait, but I'm still confused about where does the dissonance between the actual research and the pop culture trope comes from? Firstly, can we talk about how this plays out in popular culture? Oh God, so in popular culture, it's like the only time I remember a woman being taken care of a man, at least in Bollywood, is Dear Zindagi. And that's happening because she's, he's her therapist. She's paying him to do it. Like most of the time, it's, and I think I remember uh, like- the Wait, you met a man taking care of a woman. <laughs> yeah, I, and I remember like the other one was Pari and uh, that was because the woman was like the she-devil. So it's either this or that. And on the other hand, it's a lot of women sort of uh, either caregiving or taking care of men while they're going through like their alcohol addictions while they're going through like uh, really dark periods in their time like for obviously all Devdas movies are a big example like the multiple iterations of uh, like a Chandramukhi taking care of a Devdas and uh, of course Kabir Singh was a recent example where that poor girl had to take care of his anger management issues which was somehow Mardangi in some way or the other this is also like a very common hip hop trope where uh, there's a, there's always a woman who has to hold a man down through while he's going through a bad time 
obviously for men the trope is never mental illness it's always a bad time a rough time or a period of sadness or grief it is never anything more serious than that because mental illness is not masculine enough at least in movies so uh, if and there's this sort of idea that if she does this she's rewarded with like a completely hail and hearty man who will love her forever and provide for her forever um and i feel like it also impacts how the media frames this issue right like um in terms of how we look at people being responsible for women being responsible for their partners is mental health in a very twisted way right like what happened with the sushant singh rajput and riya chakraborty case was that she was villainized for taking him for therapy like the family was blaming her for doing that on national television for making him take medication for depression became like an evil thing to do i feel like around the world we've seen this play out like this idea of the woman being responsible for how a man's mental health plays out like even with the whole cot cobain cotney love um case where like his poor mental health was often linked to their terrible relationship um and she was blamed for his death so much so that it was like there were there are still controversies like when 20 years since in 20 years of his death the whole conspiracies about her killing him like came to the surface again i mean the examples that you put like yes they are like quite ridiculous but i do think that there is a way for like two people in a relationship to kind of contribute to the exacerbation of each other's mental health uh, or one person like towards the other you know like if it is an ab- abusive situation or if it's like a gaslighting situation or if there's like a power dynamic difference right be it a woman or a man like i think there is a way that you can worsen your partner's mental health again like i'm not say that the the, the blame Uh, and like kind of holding like blaming you or punishing you for doing that probably is not the best way to do because it's not like the cent- centering the person whose mental health has been worsened but there is a way that this can happen that raises like an interesting question right like which is that um how responsible are you for preserving someone else's mental health like you might be the cause of someone's bad mental health we might be talking about responsibility when it comes with dealing with mental illness but how responsible is someone for preserving another person's mental health while they're with them i mean i think quite a bit <laughs> uh, in the sense that see obviously nobody is talking about cures right nobody is talking about solutions or whatever but like for example if a person is depressed right so and like they are not like super active in their lives like if their partners are constantly making plans to like go outside and like kind of making them feel bad about the fact that they cannot step out and they cannot do things um i think that is a very small way that you can preserve your partner's mental health not to put that burden on them to be as like active as you are um so in those little ways i think it is absolutely essential for you to learn to live with your partner's mental health um and if you're like actively not trying to do that then you're not preserving their mental health but that's a very roundabout way of making that argument i think it's much more complicated in the case of like a mental illness and the kind of expectations are I don't know if you can expect preserving someone's mental health from another person. So know? I think for now I would just like not use the word preserving and just like say living with. You know because when you live with somebody who has a mental like illness you just kind of like figure out their habits and like anticipating how they might react to what situations and try to prevent them uh, as much as possible while also like 
hopefully taking care of your own health so it's not necessarily preserving that it, it preserving like has a very sacrificial like tone to it that oh i will you know like put them first before myself but i don't think it really plays out like that in real life like it's it's more just like finding a middle ground that is not too painful for like either but I don't know. I think like I'm I'm feeling echoes of some of the things we discussed in our toxic friendships episode, which is sometimes when people have mental health issues, they're actually difficult to be friends with because their behavior can be super erratic. They can be really unreliable. You know, like there's a bunch of stuff. They may not always treat you really nicely or with respect because again, they might be in the middle of something. And so it's hard because it's it's hard to maintain like a consistent, healthy friendship sometimes with somebody who can't always be the friend you need them to be so that's yeah yeah and i would say from the opposite end as somebody who does suffer from like a chronic mental health issue i find it extremely hard to be around people who do not <laughs> because i find myself having to explain myself like constantly um and like feeling like not a burden but necessarily like always kind of like on the verge of feeling inadequate or perhaps like not necessarily meeting their expectations of friendship so i found it very easy to be around people who kind of understand or like share at least some of the experiences together so a lot of things then don't just need to be said yeah that i mean that makes so much sense also i feel like it's more of a systemic issue which you can't really pin on individuals when it comes to responsibility i mean we've talked about how there is not like there isn't a robust like mental health infrastructure for people to get to right and even if there was um for example poverty is an indicator of mental health issues later in life um if children have like experienced poverty um and there are a lot of other societal factors that exacerbate mental health issues so a trans person living in a transphobic society a person who is disabled living in a world that is not designed for them like th- those create environments and like chronic incidents that make it very difficult for them to live which then uh, exacerbate mental health issues so you, you can i mean if you are depressed because of that you can't just go to the mental health professional for depression because they like if the cause of that is is not like handled or resolved then your mental health issue will remain as long as um, the trigger for it like so, is remaining right so there are these like systems and hierarchies in place that need to be blamed i guess but at least held responsible um to then have like a ripple effect um to make like m- the risk of mental health like lower in certain communities but it you cannot just treat the mental health issue in isolation But I think that Rajvi your point actually uh argues in favor of um like taking more responsibility for people's mental health issues because if people are living in a world that is consistently causing or exacerbating mental health issues then I think community can be super important right like if you can't resolve those structural problems at least having other people around you who relate who understand who share some of the issues and who can provide support 
is uh, potentially hugely important. Yeah, and see, like, I think one thing this pandemic has kind of taught us is that, like, mental health issues are not, like, some rare thing that happens to people, you know? Like, they're quite common, um, depending on the severity, but they are quite common, and almost everybody at some point either is or will or has experienced it in their lives, you know? Um, So if, like, personal experience can make that happen for others, you know? Like, I mean in this sense support can just be hey i went through this we can just have a conversation to hey like call me if you need anything to hey like these are the resources i used when i was going through this like it can just be that you know it doesn't have to be that you are at somebody's beck and call all the time but i feel like the more and more people you can access for like different stages or different resources to deal with mental health the easier it'll become because you're not putting the burden on just one person um i think that makes a lot of sense and i feel like one of the most important things that we talked about throughout like the back and forth is that there's a big dip. like first of all we need to understand that mental health differs a lot depending on the kind of condition whether it is a chronic illness or whether it's having a bad mental health day they're two very very different things um and i think the first important thing is for us to understand that and then talk about or think about what does responsibility mean in different contexts but we could all definitely do with like you said rajvi being a little more understanding and kinder and being there a little bit for people and at least understanding that mental health issues are real and they happen all the time sorry if that was a cliched conclusion <laughs> <laughs> no it's we'll survive one cliche yeah on this show <laughs> <laughs>